you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The Iron Lady sings it. That's when you know it's official. Welcome to Big Show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by because we didn't couldn't do it without you. Didn't couldn't do it without you. I'm just making up poetic licenses. I do the show, which is what I do whenever I misspell or mispronounce or people get angry. Those grammar Nazis on Twitter or Facebook, they're like, hey, man, you didn't put the commas where you're supposed to be. And I got like political license. Look it up. It's a thing. I can do what I want. It's free country. <laughs> For the time okay. being, guys, we bring you, as always, the most brilliant minds, the people who have written their stories of life, or what we call the owner's manual to life, the stories they've collected, they've lived through, they've got the scars from the phoenix rising from the ashes, the moment, the dichotomy moments, and we merge it all together with the CEO, the billionaires, the Pulitzer Prize winners we have on the show, and bring you the most elite Chris Voss show audience, the Chris Voss show glow, as we like to call it, that knowledge that just bubbles up and seltzers up into the carbonation of our blood and minds and makes us so intelligent. So when we walk around, people worship us. No, that's that's a bit too narcissistic there. Stop that. Don't do that. Anyway, guys, we have an amazing author on the show. And in the meantime, oh, yeah, I forgot to get the plugs, and that's what that whole BS lead-up is about. Go to goodreads.com, Chris LinkedIn.com, Chris Voss, the LinkedIn newsletter, the big 130,000 LinkedIn group. Chris Voss went on Tickety Talkity and ChrisVossFacebook.com. Our amazing author today is Kyle McDowell. He is the author of the latest book to come out September 7th, 2022. Begin with We, 10 Principles for Building and Sustaining a Culture of Excellence. As you guys know, we talk a lot about culture on the show and the importance of it, especially if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in your company and laying the foundation for developing a culture. Because if you don't, if you don't, if you're if you're not the builder of it, the curator of it, the one who makes it happen, it will make itself, and you'll have a very disruptive culture. I assure you, if you don't mind, if you're not mindful of it, for nearly three decades, former senior executive turned best-selling author, speaker, and leadership coach Kyle McDowell amassed an impressive track record of delivering superior results while also cultivating authentic leaders and driving cultural change. Prior to exiting corporate America, he has led tens of thousands of employees at some of the biggest companies in the country. In his Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, Begin With We, he examines the root causes of dysfunction in business, highlighting the plague of a me-oriented paradigm and provides the remedy with his framework, the 10 We's. 10 We's, I think that's what I call my 10 personalities. Today, McDowell is regularly invited to speak at business, education, and nonprofit institutions events and has been featured in major national publications such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the show. How are you, Kyle? Hey, Chris. Man, I'm well. What an intro. Thanks for having me. What an intro. I'm, I'm offering a new service website where people pay me to go around and announce them. Hear ye, hear ye. Do, 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 do. There you go. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. 
Yeah, my man, KyleMcDowellInc.com. And by the way, it's the same for all my social handles, Kyle McDowell Inc. There you go. Find him anywhere. So give us a 30,000 overview of the book. Begin with we. Yeah, so I guess for some some context, I spent nearly 30 years in corporate America, and you touched on that in my intro. And man, probably around year 20-ish, I felt an overwhelming sense of apathy, and I realized I wasn't alone. And um, it was about 2017, I was asked to take on a role leading 15,000 people. In the, I think at the time, it was the world's largest healthcare enrollment operation, as well as call center in that same kind of vein, right? So we, we did mm-hmm. enrollments for the Affordable Care Act and 100 Medicare. Oh, wow. Well, Chris, when I took that role, man, I knew I needed to lead in a way that I had never been led before. I knew I needed to reach the team and, and, and kind of galvanize them in a way that would be memorable, but also transform the organization, deliver better results. And the night before I was to meet with the top leaders of that organization, I penned mm-hmm. these 10 principles. I had no idea at the time what they would become, how, how strongly they would resonate with so many people. And the principles are essentially the, the rules that govern how we treat each other. First, mm-hmm. I'm really a big believer that if we are high functioning behind the scenes, behind the curtain, we are so much better positioned to deliver really fantastic results externally. Mm-hmm. So I roll these principles out and several years later, they are still a cultural manifesto for that organization. And I've been lucky enough to evangelize and implement these principles at numerous organizations around the country. And, and that's how the book came about. And I've spent the last year and a half continuing to promote and evangelize the books, find myself on stage uh, regularly uh, espousing and, and speaking the benefits of principle-based leadership and namely the 10 weeks. There you go. So let's let's do a tease out. Well, let's before that, let's get into your background and history, your hero's journey. Let's get to know you a little bit better, and then we'll get into the book. Tell us how you were raised. What got you down this road and into the fields you have in developing what you've done? Yeah, man, I, I would describe my my childhood as middle class, and that's that's probably generous. We didn't come from a whole lot, very rural area. I grew up in the strawberry capital of the world. Oh, huh. and that's right, in Plant City, Florida. Uh, oh. Big fan of the Strawberry Festival, by the way. There you go. Strawberries are good. Uh, right on, man. But my, you know, my parents were both very, very hard workers. My dad was a salesman. My mom kind of cut her teeth in sales as well, but ultimately ran a giant factory for a manufactured housing company. And they taught me very early on: if you want X, you better be able to put in Y in terms of effort. I, I mm-hmm. just knew anytime I needed or wanted anything in life, they taught me very early it was probably going to require some effort. So I, I worked, I started, my first job was 15 years old, bagging groceries. My first entry into corporate America was right around the age of 18. As a matter of fact, I, impl- I applied for a role at a local bank in Tampa when I was 17. And I rolled the dice that my interview and an offer would come after my 18th birthday. And it worked out and I started off in a very small cubicle and just managed to work my way through you know, bigger and bigger roles, bigger, and greater spheres of influence. And then ultimately, as you mentioned in the intro, my last couple of stops in corporate America, I led collectively over 30,000 people at two Fortune 5 companies. Nice. Got a lot of experience in big organizations, and it, it's kind of what, what fueled the book. There you go. I love that you started out early bagging groceries. That's how I, I, I actually started stocking, then I moved to bagging groceries because they, they wouldn't let us do the bagging front work there was like an age limit and I think it was like 12 or 13 or 14 when yeah. I started, you couldn't yeah. do the bagging front end. People couldn't see you 
until you were like 16. So if I think That's for right. two years I did the stock, the stocking thing. And then eventually I talked about this in my book. I worked my way up to being a manager of, of uh, the, 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 the baggers and, and, and all that stuff. And that's when I got real power and I became a malignant narcissist and uh, evil and evil, a comedian and something like that. Yeah, too. There you go. Yeah. So let's talk about these 10 we's who are these 10 we's and are they in my head? Is that the ones that are always talking to me or is this different? <laughs> they might be. I hope they are, actually. Well, there's one so, that says kill, kill, kill. The judge says I can't use anymore. And I get one of the ankle bracelets off next week for that. So it should be good. Just one, though. Only one? Well, there's a stack. Okay. All right. Well, what, you know, one's better than zero. It's progress. You know, the, the principle, well, let, let's back it up, right? Because for your audience, a principle by definition is a fundamental truth. It's something we hold to be true. It's our series of beliefs. Mm hmm. And not to be confused, by the way, with values or mission statements inside of an organization, because those okay. are wonderful for communicating externally who we are. They, they mm -hmm. tell the public who we are, what we stand for, and who you're doing business with, essentially. But the principles are our fundamental truths. They are how we deliver and how they, they enable the principles, the values, rather, and the mission statements of an organization. And have you heard them? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard them. But what I'm guessing is you've never heard them in a, in a kind of contiguous manner because they grow from one to the next and they kind of form almost a moat, if you will. So we're, we're in the castle and these principles circle us in this moat and they prepare us and arm us for both adversity and, and good times. But what I think is unique about these principles is when lived conspicuously, when they become part of the daily vernacular of the organization, the, the organization becomes and the team becomes impenetrable. Why? Because we have subscribed to all of these same fundamental beliefs. Have you heard of them? Absolutely. The number one is uh, we, we do the right thing. We number one mm -hmm. is we do the right thing always. Seems so simple, right? But it's not so simple because the right thing can be di mean different things to different people. And there's mm -hmm. the, the, the book goes deep into how you land on what the right thing is. And then they kind of go through, almost matriculate all the way through to the very last one is we obsess over details. But the beauty of these principles, my man, is... When, you, when, when the team subscribes to them, it removes all ambiguity of mm -hmm. how we behave, how we treat one another. For example, one of my favorites is we, we say what we're going to do, and then we do it. It's mm -hmm. number three, right? If you're going to make a commitment to someone else on this team, you must deliver on that. There right? you go. If you have to deliver externally, we damn well have to do it internally. Um, so it's kind of the rules of the road that govern how we treat one another first and foremost. There you go. And, and a lot of people, do you find in your research and your, you know, polling and the coaching you do and stuff, do you, do you, what percentage of leaders would you say in, in your, in your, you know, evaluation of research actually have sat down when they create a company or they step into a company, maybe as a CEO, they actively, they actively seek to create a culture, you know, maybe they don't need to improve the culture that they have, but there is kind of a signature that you, I think you have to do as your personality that fits your personality and what you want to deliver. And there's, there's always ways to tweak stuff. I, I can see sometimes where maybe, I don't know, if you follow Jack Welch or something, maybe, maybe you want to keep what it's going on or Lee Iacocca. But do you find that, how, what percentage of leaders do you find are intentional about setting that standard up front rather than trying to, you know, chase and fix maybe what they broke? Almost none. <laughs> what Almost the? None. I was gonna. I was gonna guess twenty percent. Wow. Wow. Almost none. I feel yeah, like a unicorn. And, and the way you framed it, 
Uh, Chris is so powerful because when we align around the principles first, like out of the gate, it's the first thing every leader should do, whether they're taking on the new role or whether they've had someone new move to their team is to establish mm -hmm. expectations. I think what most bosses do is they establish the expectations around the KPIs, the fundamental success criteria of a role. Mm -hmm. They don't set the standards and expectations for how we treat one another. They don't, uh -huh. they don't establish guardrails for how we're supposed to behave to and with one another. So I, I think the number is very, very low. At least I know the first 20 plus years of my career, I focused only on the results. I didn't focus on how we got there, which mm -hmm. is the biggest in my career. There you go. It, yeah. It, that's really interesting. Almost zero. Wow. I would say almost zero. Yeah. And if they do, they're not formal. They're not formal enough to where the, the team member can repeat them over and over again. Like it's mm -hmm. a one, one and done type thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine some, you know, a lot of us that are entrepreneurs or ever been CEOs, we, we kind of have a toolbox and it's kind of subconscious, or at least I think we do that I do. And I, I seem to find people that do sometimes it's harder for me to dig it out of them. I'm like you have a toolbox you're using. You just, do you know what it is? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, what type of leader? Yeah. I don't know. Just, it seems to work for me. I you know, built million dollar companies. Well, you know, it's not that hard really after a while. I mean, it is, but it isn't. There's like a there's like a machine to it. Once you learn business and scale, it, yeah, it's a muscle memory, and I think that's what most people leaders are running on is a muscle memory. You know, kind of what got them there. But not every situation of your muscle memory and your toolbox, you know, can be applicable. I've certainly gone into businesses, or you know, sometimes you have catastrophes or challenges or or uh, cathartic times or business models, you know, change on you in a heartbeat and yeah, you still fall back on them, but you, yeah, you always have to be constantly improving and growing. So, um, there, there you go. But yeah, being intentional on culture, I, I was lucky enough and I've talked, I'm sure the audience is like, he's going to say it again, but one of my early influences, I studied to be a CEO. And so I studied Harvard business right. review I studied Tom Peters, read a lot of Tom Peters, Drucker's books, just everything I could on business to try and prepare myself for being a CEO someday of a major company. And so I, I spent a lot of time preparing and Peter Singe's book, The Fifth Discipline, influenced me a lot in his workbook mm -hmm. because I wanted to create a learning organization and I saw the value of that. And I learned about culture and why it was important, but I didn't have the guidebook that you've espoused in your book where you've really put it together in detail. I would have loved to have it. Where, why didn't you write this book like 35 years ago, dude? <laughs> where were you, man? I, was, I needed you. Um, and so, and so, you know, I had a, I had a couple tidbits. I don't even know if they made your list, but I, I have a couple tidbits that, you know, I used in my toolbox, but, you know, building that learning organization and some different things, but I was intentional with culture. The, every company I built from the moment it launched and the environment that we tried to do, I tried to be intentional That's and it. direct and curate curate is probably the best word that culture and, and, and incubate it so that I could, so that it would continue. And I tried to set that stone and, and I was like enough partners that were supportive in that, in that they would, you know, match my lead and we could march in unison. And so that's really important. And I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about that. A lot of CEOs don't think about that when they go in to companies, you know, and number one, if you take over a company or you come over into a CEO position and you're replacing a prior CEO, you know, you've got to be aware of the culture you're moving into. 
and it was a toxic, you know, what are some ways you can evaluate a toxic culture versus a healthy culture? Yeah, I, I love that question. And it's rarely asked. You have to ask, right? You have mm -hmm. to ask. You have to get close to the people that actually do the work, right? I think too many times, especially in big organizations, the more senior you become, the more disconnected you become from those that actually perform the work. So now I'm not, I'm not naive either. I know that a lot of times if a leader in an organization or someone with a fancy title asks, hey, what's broken? We're probably not going to get the most open and forthright answers. So we got to do anonymous surveys. We have to do skip level meetings where I meet with not just the people that report to me, but the people that report to them as well. You've got to create an environment where people feel comfortable to raise their hand to say when something's broken. You've got to be mm -hmm. comfortable to raise their hand when they've made a mistake. Sometimes these signs are obvious. And you can judge that by the turnover they have, the hard time they have, or the difficulty they have attracting new candidates. So a variety of ways, but it starts with asking the question the way that you frame it. There you go. And, and being mindful of it. And it's so important to hit that ground with the first foot because trying to fix a broken culture or I think even worse. So I'll put this up to see if you agree with me or disagree with me. But even worse than moving into a broken culture, you know, there, 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 there are things that you can do to say this is a new moment. We are. This is a. This is a sea change that we are happening. And you can announce that as a leader and go. I realize that things are broken. I realize that you're unhappy. I realize maybe you didn't trust the prior management. But from here on out, you have my word. I think we talked somebody recently. I think last week came on and talked about an example of a, of a leader who did that and said, you know, we can spend a year trying to figure out whether you trust me or not, or whether I trust you. And, you know, you, this has been a culture of distrust that, that in the prior management, but here's the, here's my commitment to you. I will trust you. If you will trust me, we don't have a year to figure this out. We've got a very short window of time to save this company. So we, we can, we can go forward with this or we can spend a year mucking around about it. And I'm willing to put my money on the table and lead. And I think that's really important. It, the, I think, I think the question I'm asking for you for though, is it's harder to fix it. If you are the one who broke it, if you've slacked or, or, or uh, if you've abdicated the lead or abdicated your culture and haven't really thought about it and it's become toxic, it's really harder for you to fix it, which is probably why they replace CEOs as often as they do. Because trying to rebuild trust, trying to rebuild the culture, trying to get people to believe in you again and fall and lead you is a lot harder to do than from your entry point. What do you think? Hey Amen. Well, you, you said one word in there that really sticks out to me, and it is the driving factor in, by the way, I love the scenario, the example you mentioned, I guess you had a guess, you said, we don't have time for this. Here's how I'm going to operate, and here's how I expect you to operate. Let's hold each other accountable. By the way, mm -hmm. almost identical approach that I took when I created the 10 Wees, and I was new to the organization, so it was, it was, it is easier if you're new, bringing new perspective. Yeah. But the word, that you, the word that you mentioned that is so important in both the, the, the person who created the issue, who is trying to solve it, as well as the new leader, and that's trust. Mm -hmm. That's trust. So yeah. if you're the guy or the gal that, that, that put the, the culture in the proverbial toilet, <laughs> you're, you gotta, you gotta, you've got an uphill climb, man, because you're the, you are in, in, in large part, at least by some people's account, you're the one that created this. So they don't mm -hmm. trust you. Yep. Where on the other hand, if you do int introduce, if you say, listen, this, today's a new day, we're going to behave differently. 
the challenge is, and I think a lot of people, I know a lot of bosses love the idea of walking in and, and snapping the talk line and saying, here's who we are. Here's how we're going to behave now. But in the very same day, they behave exactly the way they did mm-hmm. before. Not yeah. inspiring trust, right? They try and lead by, they try and lead by PR and hypocrisy. So yeah, they'll put out yeah. the PR statement and be like, oh, yeah, we're going to lead and do all these great things. And then and we're going to be moral and ethical and trustworthy. And then, you know, right away, they're like off to the races with whatever. And then, it's obvious. Yeah. And everyone yeah. in their employees are like, you're full of shit, as George yeah. Conway used to or George Carlin used to put it in his famous, you know, you're full of shit bit. And I think that's important. But culture god i'm really surprised that's gonna haunt me i'm gonna be up at night thinking about what you said that i want to know who that was through culture. a wise person very wise yeah. person who did that. Uh, the the cult the culture that uh, the fact that most people aren't intentional in culture is just astounding to me i i mean i would at least guess five to twenty percent but you know that really makes sense <laughs> actually Look at a lot of companies nowadays. Man, think about it this way. When there is a management or leadership position open, we almost always hire the person who was really good at the function that they will assume managing. Mm -hmm. Right? So you take take a team of 10 that has an opening for their leader. You're going to look at the results of those 10 people. Who is the biggest or the best performer, Right. We don't, rarely anyway, do we assess leadership acumen? Do we assess someone's ability to motivate, handle conflict, inspire those around them? We don't, we don't test for those things. We don't, rarely do we even talk about those things in the interview process. And when the person reaches, someone gets promoted into the role, they struggle, they don't do well, and then, you know, it ends poorly. But we never, rarely does the organization take a step back and say, what could we have done differently to arm this person to be the best that they could be right out of the gate. And that involves training that involves, you know, a mentor, perhaps coach, whatever, but Mm -hmm. making it inconspicuous about it, right. Being purposeful, as you say, is absolutely essential. You know, you you bring a good point. You mentioned there that we don't really look at leadership on hiring and, and all that other stuff. Hopefully people look at it when it comes to promoting, but maybe not. You know, it's, it's, I've been guilty of promoting people that were maybe the best salesmen and they don't turn out to be good managers because they're right great on. salesmen. It's the the yep. job, the two jobs are two different things uh, and mindsets. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, when you look at today's recruiting process, correct me if I'm wrong, you might have more experience. I don't have my finger on the pulse of recruiters, but it seems like most of the recruiting is really, you know, looking for people that, you know, can do the job, follow the rules stay color within the lines, you know, they don't really hire for people that color outside the lines, think independently and stuff. You're, you're kind of, it's very rudimentary. I'm thinking of, I, I always have this image that comes to mind of the Pink Floyd song, another brick in the wall, where they have the video of the kids marching through the manufacturing facility. And, and so it seems like that's kind of a lot, what people want. And yet we hear from the other end, at least from, you know, authors I have on a brilliant discussions we have like this one is, you know, Oh, you need to, you need to have servant leadership. You need to make people underneath you leaders. Yet we don't hire for those people. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy when you really think about it. Well, and I, I think it's even worse, Chris, in that there is this. Uh, love the, I love the image that you just brought up with the video because the same thing happens in management and leadership positions, right? So mm-hmm. let's use the same scenario. I've got a team of 10. 
the incumbent boss has gone on to, to, to some other place. So we have an opening, right? So let's, mm-hmm. let's hire the best performer out of these 10. They're now a leader. They're now mm-hmm. a manager. Well, they are most likely to, to behave in a way that is completely consistent with the person who just left or that person's boss. In other words, they're going to replicate and repeat the same, in many cases, shitty behavior, bad leadership, uh, more about me than about us, the team, because that's all they know. That's all they've seen. And by the way, they must endear themselves to the person that is making that hiring decision. So the best way to do that is to pay it forward the same garbage leadership that they've observed. So Mm. then what happens? That person is now in a position to where they're, they're going to have to make a hiring decision. What are they going to do? They're probably going to hire the person that most replicates their tendencies, which were exactly the same as the person before them. So in other words, there's this domino effect. And so it goes. The, the cycle repeats until someone, you alluded to this, until someone says, enough. That's, that's not how yeah. we're going to be. That, that's yeah. not who we are. Yeah. It takes courage to do that, especially in an organization that's got, got the cultural kind of malaise or toxicity so deeply ingrained in the DNA somebody has to be the one to take the risk to lead differently. There you go. You know, we've talked so much about servant leadership. Servant leadership seems to be talked about more than anything else lately. I think it's been around for a lot of years, but I think, I think COVID and remote working and the fact that a lot of the, you know, baby boomers and Gen X's retired early from the working force. And now we have a very limited working force that everyone's fighting over and it's not going to change anytime soon. And they realize that and they're, they're demanding to have better leadership or they're going to go someplace where they can have it. People, people quit over leaders. They really do. I mean, they'll work, they'll work jobs that maybe they don't like as much as long as they got good leadership and they feel like they're contributing and they feel like they're getting value from it. But if, if your leadership is crappy and depressing and demoralizing, they're they're going to leave, and they can. No, I mean, yeah. I, think I, I think I just read that. God, it's probably somewhere on my LinkedIn, but I think I just read that thirty-two or twenty-five states. Don't quote me on it, people. Just Google it. But like, there's there's massive states that are up that are almost doubling the minimum wage laws that they had on the books which is going to be, you know, a major impact to business. But most most businesses are already there now. I mean, I remember before COVID, we were all arguing that if we went to 15 bucks an hour, you know, everyone would go bankrupt or something. The economy would crash. And now I see people begging and pleading for 20 to 25 bucks an hour to work at McDonald's. And, and you're just like, well, okay, I guess, you know, demand, <laughs> demand is here. But yeah. yeah, being intentional about, your culture is is everything. You know, having a culture that can learn, having a culture that can make mistakes, having a culture. You know, like one of the things we always had in our in our it was like a rule. We should have had it mounted on a wall, really. Come to think of it, but you know, we, I said it so much it was ad nauseum in my office, and, and it was the rule that the only stupid question is the unasked question. So ask questions you it's okay to say you're wrong it's okay to say you have an error it's okay to not understand something just please let us know ask questions f- let us fill it in because you know the person who doesn't know they're the ones who's going to cost me a small fortune and some sort of mistake they're going to muck up and i'm going to have to clean it up as a ceo and talk to whoever they pissed off and uh, well i'm good at fixing those problems i really don't want to be that good so, right it's yeah. It's unfortunate you have to be good at it. But you know, you said something a moment ago, Chris, that really got my attention. And I, and I think it really puts a fine point on why not only the book is needed, but people should be more purposeful 
and in, in, in how they approach leadership. And that is now more than ever, organizations are fighting for a, a smaller number of people. Not mm-hmm. that the total universe of people looking for jobs has shrunk. They have more mm-hmm. options than ever. Yep. So you made a comment earlier that I think was really, really kind of, it's relevant to where we are now. And that is, you know, we have muscle memory. We can lean back on skills from the past. We can, you know, the same recipe might work over. I don't think that's true in leadership any longer because mm-hmm. the workforce has changed because mm-hmm. the proliferation of work at home is, is what it is, right? You can work in a different hemisphere now, mm-hmm. uh, which I think requires leaders today. Well, let me back up in the past. I think for decades, if not centuries, the organizations were always in the driver's seat and their employees had to conform to their way of doing things. Yep. That's not necessarily wrong, but it's very different than today. Today, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, that if I don't get what I like or what I want, that's going to help me be my best in this role. I'm going down the street or I'm going to go home and work from home at a place that's in another state. So those options, they really, really have required leaders to level up and be better than they were yesterday or else they're going to they're going to lose those teams and the, the team will lose those individuals and those teams will lose. Yeah, I think it's, a, different, it's a very different paradigm now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really game changing. In fact, the other aspect of it is, I believe it was in the New York Times or the Washington Post, but basically the baby boomers and Gen Xers who left early over COVID, they're like, fuck it, we're out of here. We're just going to retire early. They are leaving every day with such a knowledge base and, and an acumen of business that they've acquired over decades and they are not being replaced, partially because the new generations are smaller than the baby boomers. And what they documented in the Washington Post and New York Times article was that for every seven, like journeymen, you know, these these super experts in the field that are leaving and retiring early, there's only one person to replace them. And those people are usually novices and beginners. So mm-hmm. we're not only losing employees and 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 valuable, knowledgeable people in in the employment market, but also the people that are coming up don't have that knowledge and skill base. And so it's going to end pretty crazy. I mean, we have doctors on the show that said we're running into a doctor's glut. You've seen that. You see that right now with pilots and air traffic controllers where the demand is so insane and they don't have enough to fill stuff and it's going to get worse. And if you think, uh, you think paying for a plumber now is expensive, (laughs) have fun with that. You better learn plumbing. Note to self. So there you go. What are some aspects about your book that we should tease out as well? And then we want to talk about what you offer on your website for coaching and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think I think at the end of the day, the book and the principles are 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 fuel for change. If you, it, you we've got to choose to be different. We've got to choose that the the tired old dysfunctional, toxic environments that so many of us have been a part of. Hell, I admit, I even helped create some of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, not without ignorance and ego. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got to recognize there is a better way. I've lived it. I've seen it. By the way, it's probably worth noting the organization in which that these principles were created. We went on an unprecedented run of success. And I'm lucky enough to still be in touch with many people from that organization. And they tell me the impact is still there. The principles are still their manifesto. Uh, and I've been able to evangelize them elsewhere since then. So, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's, 
the book is very different in many ways. First of all, I wrote it in, in people speak. I wrote it how humans actually talk, right? I mean, think about it. We, we have two different vocabularies. We have our work vocabulary, and then we come home and speak very differently. When's the last time you came home and said, hey, honey, did you get those deliverables taken care of? You know, we had some action items from our conversation, right? We don't even talk that way. So we have two different dialogues, two different vernaculars. So that would be funny to come home and talk to the wife right? in, in buzzwords. From this. That was wrong with you, Chris. Right? I'd pay to see that sitcom. That'd be the reaction, right? Yeah. So it's written in a way, and it was intentional, right? It's written in a way that is 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 normal, right? And then also, it is written from real experience. And I think that's where my book is very different than 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 many others in the space. I'm not an academic. I'm not. I didn't. These aren't hypothetical things. These are real life applications that I have used to drive big transformation in teams. But the unintended byproduct that I'm so proud to. to to talk about and, and, and realize today is the impact these principles have had on my personal life. And, mm -hmm. and Chris, there's not a week that goes by that I don't have a complete stranger who has bought and read the book that says the principles have had an impact in areas that they didn't anticipate. My favorite mm -hmm. example is, is hearing how it impacts how they raise their children. Mm -hmm. Because again, you know, if you want to establish expectations, fundamental truth, the system of beliefs principle is the way to mm -hmm. do it. So I, I think I think there's something in it for everyone, but especially and only for those that are looking for a change. Oh, there you go. So let's get into what you offer on your website at kylemcdowellinc.com. Yeah, so I've uh, since the book came out, and in, in, I think you mentioned it at the top, uh, within week two, it hit the New York, the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list. It was, mm. it was number one in nine categories on Amazon. Nice. So... I, the bulk of my time is now evangelizing the principles on stage. So whether it be a trade show, a conference, some type of workshop or individual organizations that have asked to make or are interested in making change. I, I do a lot of, a lot of stage work evangelizing the principles in the book and my experiences with them. And then I just fill in the rest of my time with executive coaching. So I, I stay very, very busy with both of those. I'm a lucky guy to be able to, to, to kind of evangelize this stuff because I know it works and I know the impact it's had, not just on me and so many others. And it is a, if you want more fulfillment and you want to have a greater impact, that, that's where I can help. There you go. So uh, final thoughts and pitch out to people to get the book and order up your services on board you, reach out to you as we go out. Yeah, like I said, if you want to be, if you want, if you want the same old, same old out of your professional life, you want to, at least the way I did, experience apathy in a way that just really, really was not a fun experience. I didn't want to get out of bed and go to work. I didn't want to. I, I just I just didn't have the get up and go that I had earlier in my career. There is another way. There's a better way. And you can find that way. And I think Begin With We lays that out in a, in a pretty straightforward fashion. Whether you want to be the leader you never had or whether you want to be a part of a team that operates more, more and better in terms of higher functioning, I think that's, that's the approach. And, you know, I gave this my social handles as well. I love hearing from, from followers and I love helping people with problems. So if, if there's anything I can do on that front, use those Kyle McDowell Inc. social handles. I'm here. There you go. It's been a great show, man, to have you on the show, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Great discussion. And like I said, you're going to me, haunt me in my nights about how these guys, how many, I'm just surprised at how small it is. But in thinking about it, I, I really shouldn't be. You know, I see very few CEOs, especially at the 
corporate levels of Fortune 100 companies that I don't know. They there doesn't seem to be any intent there. They just sometimes they're just, just rolling through whatever. Right? Yeah, we assume yeah. whoever you hire brings the leadership chops that you need, and that's not. It's rarely the case. There you go. So thank you for coming on the show, Kyle. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Chris. Great, great to be here. Thank you. Order up the book, folks, wherever fine books are sold. Stay away those dirty alleyway places. You might need a tetanus shot or get mugged. Go to those bookstores and order up. Begin with we 10 principles for building and sustaining a culture of excellent. And please, people, curate your culture and be intentional. Jesus, God, put a tattoo on your self on it if you're a leader. I mean, it's it's everything. I think I think you would you say it's everything. It's foundational. It is everything. You can hey, you can focus on results and you might yeah. be successful. Yeah. Focus on the people, results come, you will be successful. There you go. But you need you need a good foundation because I think all of it's a package deal. Thanks to Kyle for coming on the show. Thanks, Ronis, for tuning in. As always, refer the show to your family, friends, relatives. Give us those five star reviews on iTunes that we love so much. Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn newsletter, 130,000 LinkedIn group, Chris Foss, Facebook.com, and Chris Foss one on the tickety talkity where the kids play. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. I should have sound great.